I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Good morning, everyone. I just have to say, that's an A-plus thumbnail Adam made. Adam, you just found the perfect image. It pops. I like it. Everyone is very into Saltburn right now. Job well done, my friends. How are you, Steve? Yeah. I'm good. Uh, I'm good. I uh, Let's jump in. There's a ton of stuff to discuss. There is. There is. I'm uh, blabbing a little bit because I want the video to pop up on Twitter because we go live on Twitter. And there it oh. is. And now I'm retweeting it. So now everybody knows it's live in two spots, not just one. And tomorrow it'll be three spots. TBD What's the third? On Likely Instagram. We're going to we're going to give that a go tomorrow. So we want to give everybody, you know, lots of options, depending on which platform you prefer to watch Collider Daily's live. So that's the plan. All right. As you all know, from the thumbnail and from the title of the video, we are going to heavily focus on our SAG nomination predictions. But there was some breaking news that just dropped before we went live. So we do want to touch on that as well. And I'm going to read from the Collider article, which is titled. This is the way to the multiplex. The Mandalorian is becoming a movie. So the article reads, um, blah, 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 2019. There was the Mandalorian um, with Lucasfilm announcing that the story will continue with a movie currently titled The Mandalorian and Grogu. Uh, This comes as something of a surprise as many involved with the show had made early offhand references to season four, though it's entirely possible a fourth season is still on the way with details yet to be revealed. This is not the only upcoming Star Wars movie to be set in the Mandoverse, of course. Earlier this year, it was announced that Lucasfilm's new chief uh, creative officer, Dave Filoni, would direct a movie that brings together all the story arcs of this era of interconnected shows. That is to say, The Mandalorian, Ahsoka, Book of Boba Fett, and the upcoming Skeleton Crew uh, show as well. What this means for the rest of the series, particularly Ahsoka, which recently ended its first season on a cliffhanger, is still up in the air, but this certainly suggests it's entirely possible for any of them to continue in movie format rather than a TV season. 
I believe that is the bulk of the news there. Did I miss any uh, any high priority uh, facts in that story, Steve? Basically, The Mandalorian season four is becoming a movie. They're releasing it in theaters. It's directed by John Favreau. Um, and uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, listen. The, the problem with Lucasfilm and Star Wars is that they announce a thousand movies and zero of them get made. So it's funny that the one that they announced today is the one that's actually happening rather than the ones that they've previously mentioned. But look, I think that The Mandalorian and Grogu as a movie in movie theaters uh, makes a lot of sense because uh, people love Grogu. They uh, really respond to the show. And the fact is, if you're going to make like a two hour Mandalorian movie, you know, I think that the thing that can make this is that, God willing, they're telling a story that is a contained two hour story that is Mando on a mission, whatever it may be. But you'll be able to increase the action. You'll be able to increase the world building. God willing, they're not going to just use the volume LED technology for the whole film and they'll do some location work in addition to the volume. But I, I think this makes a lot of sense. And also, um, you know, I don't think they need to spend $200 million on this movie. You know, you could probably make this on a reasonable budget and the possibilities of it performing are pretty high. And, you know, the other thing is the Mandalorian and Grogu, they sell a lot of toys. And ultimately, you know, as much as people don't talk about it, but merchandise on Star Wars is very important. Ultimately, I think this is a very smart move. And it's just a question of, is this like a solo thing? How does it tie into other stuff? Um, but you know, I'm, I'm excited about this. I think it's a smart idea. One question based on how you started your commentary. So you do think that this spells the end for the Mandalorian in series format, that season four will not happen in the near future, at least. Well, first of all, this movie has been rumored for months. Like every, there's been a lot of talk online that season four was going to become a movie. Um, I, we, I don't know if there'll be another season of the Mandalorian after this. I, I don't think anyone knows. I think they're going to figure it out. It's possible that this does huge business at the box office and then Disney says, well, wait a minute, maybe we want to do another Mandalorian movie. You know, like, I, I don't know. And also, you know, the Dave Filoni movie where they're tying up all these different Star Wars threads in a movie. Who knows if that even happens? You know, like, is Ahsoka going to get a season two? There's so many question marks. The only thing for certain is that Andor season two is being worked on. And there's a Mandalorian movie uh, being filmed this year. And I'm sure it'll be out next year. So that's the only two things that we all know. Well, I'm sorry. We also know Skeleton Key is coming out. True. We know, uh, the Acolyte is coming out. Yes. You know what I mean. I'm very excited for Acolyte. Um, as far as this particular news goes, I will tap into something you brought up just now. I feel like I am not getting as excited by new Star Wars news and other franchise news out there for that matter because of what you said, that a lot of things are announced and they don't pan out. And I feel like there's only so many times in a row you can get burned and then still get excited by the next thing they announce. So I am... A little, a little wary on this until I, I see it, not necessarily in its finished form, but even a trailer that intrigues me. And from the business standpoint, the thing that makes me nervous about this is, yes, The Mandalorian clearly has fans. But the fact that you're going to release a movie that demands that the widest possible movie going audience have 
the knowledge of what the show has already covered worries me because I feel like with uh, a number of franchises out there, what they've done is with every new release, they've kind of narrowed their audience more and more and more. And I think people are repelling against the idea of feeling the pressure to watch everything that's come before. I think that is hurting a lot of film series right now. So it's going to, it's going to be a challenge to, build a story that can stand on its own two feet, but then also to convince, again, the widest possible audience that you do not have to have seen everything to enjoy this movie. You could just go and see this movie. It's just not, it's not, it, not that it was easy to do before, but I do think it's probably true to say it's not as easy to do, especially right now as it might've been in the past. Listen, you you hit the nail on the head. I totally agree with you. And that also goes back to what I was saying, which is you don't spend $200 million on this movie. You make this film on a reasonable budget and you don't go crazy. And when you do that, you don't have to make a billion dollars at the box office. The fact is, if they're able to make this movie hypothetically at $100 million, right, you just need to make three, four hundred to have this. And by the way, you don't even have to make three. You could make like 250 because it's ultimately merchandise, theme parks, T-shirts. You've got to factor all that mm-hmm. in. And over the next five, 10 years, you know, selling that stuff, that all comes from the movie and people loving something and wanting to buy stuff. So ultimately, they just have to make a great movie. And uh, it, you, I definitely agree with you. You have to be able to go into this and not have seen one episode of The Mandalorian and still enjoy it, I think they can do this. I hope they've thought about this. I'd like to think that, you know, Favreau and Filoni have, you know... Anyway, look, I'm going to give them benefit of the doubt, but again, it comes down to not overspending on this, so you don't have to make so much money, and it's still profitable. Yeah, um, (laughs) hopefully. Thinking all of that through, um, again, though, I'm just leaning towards the idea of continuing these franchises by exploring new characters and new story threads. That way they don't have to feel the pressure of making sure that everyone either feels caught up enough or not beholden to what has been released within that little series beforehand. So I agree with you. I I am curious about this in a movie theater and, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right. So our main topic for the day now is the SAG nominations. SAG nominations are being announced at 7 a.m. Pacific tomorrow, and we are going to make some predictions. So we're going to kick off our list with Ensemble. And just so everybody knows... Because this is one of the things that I think uh, folks are most curious about. How well do the SAG Award nominations predict who's going to go on to become an Oscar nominee? And, you know, there's there's probably actual stats out there that go back years and years that I could have researched, which I don't have that information handy. But, you know, at a glance and from what I recall last year, like in my mind, I'm kind of assuming 
four of the five nominees roughly in each of these categories is going to wind up becoming the nominee. I feel like there's always something like, you know, a major snub where a SAG nominee doesn't go on to get their Oscar nom. Like Danielle Deadweiler last year, she got the SAG nomination, didn't get the Oscar nomination. One of the biggest Oscar snubs of all time, in my personal opinion. And then there's, there's also, uh, you know, situations where the opposite happens, where someone winds up getting the SAG, uh, the SAG nomination. And then, you know, so someone swoops in at the last second that you didn't imagine and they wind up with an Oscar nomination. So curious to see how all this is going to play out. So right now with my predictions for best ensemble, I think that Oppenheimer and Barbie are inevitable in a number of categories. You don't separate the two. They are the movies of 2023, the highest earners, the the biggest impact on pop culture. I can name so many things that could go on that list. They're getting nominated. The other one that I feel fairly certain about is Killers of the Flower Moon. I do think that there was a point in time when I thought Killers of the Flower Moon's momentum in award season might have been on the decline, except for Lily Gladstone. I was wrong, and I'm happy to admit whenever I'm wrong. I think it's the opposite. I think it is held steady, if not increased its momentum. So Killers of the Flower Moon. The last two spots are are my toss-up. Right now, I think I'm sticking with Poor Things. I think there's a lot of love for Poor Things and the bold performances in that movie. And then I think I'm going to go the color purple. I, I also think that there's widespread love for that particular ensemble. I think they're going to get a lot of individual nominations. It's And as I, as I say that, I look at the things that I'm cutting out. The two movies that I'm having a really hard time cutting off my list right now are American Fiction and The Holdovers. I feel like American Fiction needs to make more noise. And I'm going to say that the holdovers does better in individual awards than it does in this ensemble category. So I'm sticking with Oppenheimer, Barbie, Killers, the Flower Moon, Poor Things, and the Color Purple. What'd you got? So I, I have three of the five. <clears throat> I also have Killers, Barbie, and Oppenheimer. But the two that I have are American Fiction. And I'm just going, uh, I'm throwing a Hail Mary, and I'm also saying Air. <laughs> I... <laughs> I want Air to get some award season love so badly, Steve. I, I feel like it, it just really, it wasn't positioned well enough. Sure. I'm, I'm putting it in there just because I, I thought it was excellent. I thought the cast was excellent. And um, that's just my prediction. And obviously these are predictions. And uh, But I don't hear enough buzz on Color Purple from anyone. And uh, in terms of, like, I just don't hear it. No, I, I don't. In terms of like best cast, and I just, again, I could be wrong. Uh, and I agree with you, holdovers is more individual than cast. And um, the fact is, I think poor things could easily get in. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I just went with error in American fiction. Well, one, one thing everyone should keep in mind is that the Best Ensemble Award is usually a pretty good predictor of what's going to go on to get a Best Picture nomination. It's it's pretty important to get this particular nomination if you want to uh, remain hopeful about your Best Picture nomination chances. So in the case of The Color Purple, right now I do have it towards the bottom of my list for the Best Picture Oscar nomination. If it does not get this Ensemble nomination, there there is a chance it will go lower on my list, if not fall off of it. So these these nominations will influence our Oscar predictions in some sense. All right, let's move on to best 
actress, film actress. I'll emphasize film actress because they're also going to do TV nominations, which we are not covering on today's Collider Dailies. Um, the three that I think are as close to locks as you can get are Emma Stone, Lily Gladstone, Carrie Mulligan. I think those are happening. I am also going to go Margot Robbie. I think that Barbie is is here to stay. 2023 was Barbie year. This is Barbie award season. I do think there's a possible chance that Barbie goes on to get like a slew of nominations at so many different ceremonies and it doesn't get as many wins as one might hope, but nominations I think are going to happen. The fifth spot now is, is my toss-up spot. I think in this particular case, I am going to give the edge to acting legend Annette Benning. I think that this is where Nyad gets more of its love. And I do see a world where she gets this nomination from SAG and then winds up not getting the Oscar nomination and somebody else getting that, that fifth slot, so to speak. I, I agree with you. I have four of the five. The difference is I don't have Annette. Um, I have Sandra Huller uh, for Anatomy of a Fall. Um, I think that her work in that film was phenomenal. And um, I just think that it's uh, more, I, anyway, I think Sa- Sandra gets it. Yeah, I think that fifth spot is either going to be Annette Benning, Fantasia Barino, Sandra Huller, Greta Lee, or Natalie Portman. I think all have a shot here. Um, all right, so we are moving on to Best Film Actor. And I, again, think we have four that feel like close to locks to me at least, beginning with Killian Murphy. Then I have Paul Giamatti, Bradley Cooper, Jeffrey Wright. And right now I'm going with my heart. I'm going with the person that I want to see get this nomination because I think he is a lovely individual and he is wildly talented. I'm going Coleman Domingo for Rustin. That means that I'm bumping Leonardo DiCaprio off the list, who, of course, industry icon, and he's excellent in Killers of the Flower Moon. So I'm definitely not going to write off the possibility that his name is going to be on this list and not someone else I just mentioned. So um, I'm putting Leo on over Coleman. Uh, I have the same. I agree with you on the other four. Um, I don't I just don't know if enough people have seen Rustin. And I think that is the issue for Coleman. Um, I think Coleman's performance in Rustin is fantastic. I think the movie is incredibly important, shines a light on this person that made such a huge difference in our world. Um, and I think, again, I think Coleman is tremendous. And I don't even think Leo is like amazing in Killers of the Flower Moon. I just think everyone saw the movie and it's Leo. And it's almost like people are just going to put his name down. Um, uh, so that's my take on it. But if Coleman got it over Leo, I'd be fine. And I'd be happy. His performance is great. So badly. Um, Some other names worth keeping an eye on, even though I really do think that this category has kind of been narrowed down to the six of them at this point. Um, There's a lot of chatter about Zac Efron for the Iron Claw, Andrew Scott, of course, who is awesome in all of us strangers. I wish that movie was getting more uh, attention than it has been. Everyone's very, uh, very high on Saltburn right now. And Barry Keoghan's name is in the mix. And I, I think that's that might be it for the the next tier of potential nominees. But again, I am leaning towards us having pinpointed the right potential six. And by, by the way, if Barry got nominated, I'm all listen. I love Barry's work. I yeah. think Barry's a gifted actor. But who is he bumping? Like, and again, I I wonder if Saltburn is also appealing to like a younger uh, uh, audience in terms of actors. I'm not. I don't know. I'm just. 
I just don't know who he bumps. It's, uh, in, in my opinion, at least, it's Coleman and or Leonardo DiCaprio. I, th- I think the two of them are towards the bottom of the list and the ones that would be replaced by maybe somebody else that was just named. But we shall see tomorrow at 7 a.m. Next up, we're on to uh, Film Supporting Actress. I, again, think we have three that feel like they have very, very, very good chances of getting these nominations. Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers, Daniel Brooks for The Color Purple, Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer. Here's where things get a little messy. I, I do think that Jodie Foster gets in for Nyad. One, because she's incredible in the role. Two, because this industry has a significant amount of respect for her. Three, because one of, I, I love Nyad. It was one of my favorite films of last year. I thought it was exceptional. One of the biggest takeaways for me, and I suspect many others share this takeaway, is that Bonnie Stoll has just like, this infectious, undeniably lovable way of supporting her best friend. And I walked out of that movie thinking to myself, like, man, what I would give to have a friend like Bonnie, you know? And I feel like if you walk away from that movie with that in your mind, her performance is going to be on the top of the mind come nomination time. The other thing is, yes, I know in award season, we all wish that it could be you know, look at just that performance and that performance alone and compare and contrast and all that good stuff. But the truth of the matter is there are human beings voting for these awards. And if someone is involved in another really hot project that is getting a lot of headlines right now, there's a better chance that their name is going to be on the top of minds versus somebody else who is maybe just promoting their Oscar, uh, their Oscar nominated, potential Oscar nominated film. In Jodie Foster's case, she is a true detective out. So there's a lot of headlines with her name in it, praising her work in that show. And that could only help her chances here. And then I'm going to go for, uh, again, industry icon in my fifth position. Right now I'm giving this to Julianne Moore for May, December. But I do think there's other people that I will put on my Oscar list. Uh, I agree with everything you said, except I put uh, America Ferreira for mm-hmm. Barbie instead of Jodie Foster. Oh, oh, yeah. so you have Julianne Moore. Oh, yeah. I, I have Emily, Danielle, Divine, Julianne. The only difference is I have America Ferreira for Barbie because her speech in that film is so amazing and so memorable. I still think about it like it's just too good. And her delivery of that of, of that scene is one of my favorites of the year. And I just think that it's just that emotional reaction gets her in. She's my number five for my Oscar nomination picks. I fear that here that might not be enough. Oh, you, by Maybe the way, that's not the right phrasing, but well, I, 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 know, do, I know what you're saying, but I, I, this is, this is my five. Obviously I could be you every, all the points you made about Jodie Foster. I'm like, Oh wow. Maybe yeah. I did this wrong, but this is just what I have. Yeah. In this case, my, my prediction is that Julianne Moore and America Ferreira flip flop. I give Julianne Moore the SAG nomination, but I give America Ferreira the Oscar nomination at this point in time. Again, literally anything can change at any moment. All right. That brings us to film supporting actor. Let's see what we got here. Here, I, 
I'm going to, I'll tier them for you, Steve. I think the top tier is the tier that I would be absolutely shocked if they didn't get a nomination. The two people on that tier are Robert Downey Jr. and Ryan Gosling. Then I'm going to say these two people have a very, very, very good shot of getting the nomination, but I'm not as confident as those other two, Mark Ruffalo and Robert De Niro. Then the fifth spot, I I do think that there's some serious uh, there's a there's a serious battle for this last spot. But I'm going to stick with the same exact list that I have for my Oscar predictions here. And I'm going to give it to Charles Melton for May, December. Yeah. So basically, um, we're very close. I have Robert, Robert, Ryan, Charles. And for some reason, I went Willem Dafoe. I just don't see. Wait, you said you went Robert, Robert, Ryan and Charles. And oh, so you bumped Mark. You think that Willem Dafoe is going to get nominated over Mark Ruffalo? Yeah, that, oh, that's no. your, yeah. Again, this is me going crazy. I like throwing the dice and seeing what's going to happen. But um, okay, I went, with, I went with Willem. I think there's a chance that Willem could get the spot over uh, Charles Melton, but I don't see Mark Ruffalo falling off this list. The other names worth keeping an eye on in this category are Dominic Sessa for the holdovers. And the person that I really want to see get a nomination, but is, is definitely on, you know, the lower end of the possibility list right now. It's Sterling K Brown for American fiction. I just like, I love how he took what was on the page, an excellent script, and just really made that role feel like his own. And he just breathes so much, like life and unique energy into that film. I really do feel like he should be honored for that performance. Listen, I, I loved his work in the film. Um, I, I'd love to see him nominated. I just don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't have him on my list right now, but I want him to be on it so, so badly. Yeah. All right. That brings us to the stunt category. So with this one, here's where we'll likely see a lot of our, you know, Big franchise movies, superhero movies, all that stuff. I think it is inevitable that Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 is on the list. I think it is highly likely that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is on the list. I also see I also see Blue Beetle getting on this list. Oh no. No. I'm going to I'm going to go those those three feel good. It feel it, it does feel like even though Ferrari in most categories is like a little bit of a blip on the radar. As far as awards things go, I do think it's going to get recognized for stunts. No. And then I think I'll give the last, I'll give the last spot to the creator. Well, first of all, I think you're out of your mind. Let's start with that because how do you not have John wick chapter four? Was that last year? Um, am, I, am I blowing this? No, that's this year. It was, it was last year. Sorry, this is what happens when, um, for whatever reason, Gold Derby doesn't have doesn't have the the lists. Like this category isn't on my Gold Derby for for some reason. So I'm looking at an unusually formatted document right now. I guess you are. Ooh, I, I mean, have yeah, I have a hard time. I have a hard time not imagining John Wick four getting on this list. That's a good point. The other, the other, uh, the other ones that I, I'm trying to remember when it came out because I'm so lost. It's a, it's a 2023 movie for sure. The, the other movies that, that I was thinking about for this category are possibly Dungeons and Dragons and Indiana Jones, Dial of Destiny. But those two, I did bump off. If I were to bump off something, I'd probably bump off Ferrari and put in John Wick four. But I want to keep I want to keep Blue Beetle and the creator. 
So I have the creator, Extraction 2, John Wick 4, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, and I only put down four because, but I think Guardians of the Galaxy could get it. I don't see Ferrari getting it. I don't see Blue Beetle getting it. Mm. Um, uh, I think the four that I mentioned are like, I'm very confident in the four that I mentioned. Um, and then the fifth, I, I'm not sure. I think Guardians of the Galaxy could get it. Um, but I just don't think enough people saw Blue Beetle. And I don't think anyone, when they think of the movie, thinks of the stunts. And um, with Ferrari, there there's select stunts. But the four that I mentioned are like loaded with action and stunts, you know? I think this is Mission Impossible's award to lose. I think they've been the most, um, like not only just like very impressive stunt work in the movie itself, but I think they did a really good job, the uh, the studio of sharing, you know, featurettes and other, other promotional material that really highlights the lengths they went to for those particular stunts. Part of the reason why I include Blue Beetle, though, is, you know, I know it might not have been as big as some of these other titles we're talking about, but it does feel like there was a pretty significant amount of internal support for that movie. And when I say internal, I mean, you know, the inside baseball, like filmmaking bubble uh, sector. I, I do think a lot of people were extremely passionate about what they achieved with that movie. And I don't know. I, I feel like there's a different kind of passion for that movie than some of the other titles that could push it into this category. Well, first of all, I, I do think that the race is Mission Impossible and John Wick Chapter 4. Um, I think what Tom does is, like, he's a god in terms of action. Um, but I just think that what, you know, John Wick Chapter 4 just had so much incredible stuff in it. In that stairway sequence, in Paris, the car stuff, like, John Wick is just loaded and, you know, uh, mission has, man, the, the action in mission is like, again, I, either of those films deserves to win. Mm -hmm. I I just don't think enough people saw blue beetle. So I just don't, I don't see it getting nominated. And I I don't, I just don't see it. You know, I think could be my, my swing could be my swing and miss, but I'm happy to highlight it. I swung and and we'll probably miss on a bunch of these, uh, these things, but don't we all um, the name of the extraction Two, great stunt work, uh, the creator, great stunt work. Um, so anyway, but I think it's mission or, or John wick for in terms of winning. All right. We shall see. We shall see. We will revisit uh, how we did on tomorrow's episode of Collider Dailies after the SAG nominations are announced. Steve, is there anything you'd like to promote before we say goodbye to everyone? Uh, when In the next little while, I'm announcing our next IMAX screening. Uh, so there's that. And um, that's basically it. If you check Collider, it'll be at the top of the site. If you live in L.A. and you're around um, next week. Good stuff. Good stuff. I will say go check out my Good Grief interview. That, that one's up and running. And here's something I'm really excited for. And now I could say out loud because it's in the can, so I can't jinx it. This weekend's uh, Collider Ladies Night is going to be with Mean Girl star Renee Rapp, who is just like the coolest. Her confidence is infectious. And I love it. I can't wait to share that with you all. So until then, have a good day. We'll see you tomorrow for a brand new Collider Dailies at 10 a.m. Pacific. Have a good one, everyone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.